Thank you, Aaron, for allowing us to celebrate the Lord's Supper under your leadership. Uh, it has been a while since I haven't been the one leading the Lord's Supper, so it's been a pleasure to to be able to sit and reflect and and uh, just be part of the congregation for a few minutes, and, and uh, very thankful for the opportunity. Uh, it struck me uh, during the first service that as we celebrate uh, our reconciliation with God, and we often refer to that also as the freedom we have in Christ, all the things that come along with having a right relationship with God, that today is also the second uh, official holiday of Juneteenth. Um, and I, I think it's a, an amazing thing. that It's been celebrated since 1800 and something, and I actually was not aware of it. I've heard of it before, never really knew what it was. Um, but as we have a good portion of our country and uh, really the world that probably recognizes this day as uh, a celebration of the freedom from slavery, and as we just finished, uh, as we just finished celebrating our freedom from, our, uh, from sin, the slavery of sin, I think there's a great segue there, a great conversation starter that as we go out into our community and we're seeking for an opportunity to have a spiritual discussion to introduce people to Jesus Christ, uh, there's one built into our secular calendar um, and we can be thankful for that. So have that in your mind as you go through. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then, then, then Google it. It always works well. And uh, you can't trust everything on the internet, but, uh, but read a few articles and make sure you're uh, evaluating what, um, what I just shared with you. We have been going through this series, Glory of God, seen through MVBC, uh, Merrimack Valley Baptist Church, us. We've been going through it for a few weeks now. And uh, if you receive the family happenings, it's that weekly newsletter that goes out. And I, I usually, uh, we call it the blurb. All right, so every week I, I have to write a blurb uh, for the family happenings. And so I introduced uh, these two questions um, in that blurb, and that is this, why elders, why now? And uh, so bear with me as I explain some of what's going on as we consider why elders, why now? If you're new with us, we have been going through a, a series of all the different ways that, that a church can glorify God. Uh, we're narrowing in to this idea of through our church polity, the way our church governance works is important, and we'll talk more about it. Uh, but we're actually talking about this idea of elders. What does it mean? Why, why use that term? We'll get there, all right? Uh, why now? Well, why now? Well, I'll say this. It's not because it's trendy. Let me give you some of the things that we're not doing. It's not because it's trendy. Uh, I've never been actually accused of being trendy, all right? Uh, I heard someone say about uh, the old suits they had, how they were buttoned down and different things. I'm like, huh? I have suits like that, right? I mean, I, I'm not one to, to be on the cutting edge of fashion or on terminology, right? We already know uh, that's really lit, right? We already know I've chronicled I live in the past uh, in many ways with my terminology. It's not trendy. This isn't why we're going down this road. It's also not because it's what I want. Um, as, as we have engaged, as I have engaged in the questions that you have asked uh, during our Grace and Truth discussion uh, a month or so ago, we, 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 we had this discussion and we were saying, what is, what is uh, uh, church leadership and how are, decision maker, how are decisions made uh, at MVBC? There was, 
uh, a lot of questions that were asked. And in that Family Happenings, I explained to those who read it that it is a daunting task. And, and to be honest with you, I had to put the list down. I, I felt, I felt uh, a little anxious. Uh, I was like, how in the world am I going to answer all these questions without preaching for like a year on this topic? And, and that will make you anxious if I preach for that long on, on this topic. But uh, some of the questions kind of came through in a very positive way, kind of say, well, if this is what Greg, uh, Greg wants or Pastor Greg wants, it's, no, this, it's not about what I want. That's not why we're going here. Uh, and it's not because it's a power struggle. Now, I don't know if, if, uh, uh, the, what's behind all the questions, but as I was reading the questions, I can, are they wondering if somehow there's a, a dissension in the ranks and somehow this is a power struggle between the pastors and the deacons? And I'll just say no, because we've said very clearly that pastors and deacons are two separate offices within the church, and we want to celebrate both, and we want to be obedient to the Lord in both, and and so it's not that. It's not that. But we will talk about authority in the church, just not today. It's a future message, but many of your questions dealt with this uh, question mark of authority. We'll get there. So why elders, why now? It's not because of these reasons. It's also not because of any reason you might be thinking about that, that I didn't say that isn't reflected on the next slide. Because the next slide is going to talk about why elders, why now, why are we doing it? Well, the first thing, I've said this before, it's because Merrimack Valley Baptist Church's recent history. When I say recent, recent, I've been here for three years. It's a little over three years. And prior to me getting here, you all, if you were part of the church, you went through a study on what elders is, and you started this process, and I was not here to teach it, to preach it, to sit under and vote on it. I wasn't here for any of that, but many of you were. Some of you have been started coming within the last three years, and you weren't here either. So why are we talking about elders? Well, because MVBC's recent history, you guys were already talking about it. We just need to finish the conversation. All right. Secondly, we're doing this because of my history. God was doing a work in my heart when I was at Cornerstone. I've been part of a large church pastoral team. I call myself back then, I was the bottom rung pastor, right? You got stepped on first. It's not that you're important. It's just that you got to go through this guy before you can get to that guy, right? And um, so I was, I, I remember being part of that large group of pastors. And it was, I think it was a group of 10, to be honest with you. And it was wonderful. I learned so much during that time. But part of my history has been for the 12 years of being a single pastor, a single, not single married, single as in the only pastor in the church. And, and I, I remember, and I've shared this not too long ago, that, that pragmatism was part of my, my interest in this. It's like, I'd like to have a group of guys to share the burden. But as I have been studying, my interest in eldership, in terms of an eldership model, goes way beyond the pragmatic. It goes to the biblical. And that's really the next two reasons, uh, three reasons. Well, let me just say, third reason, I forgot about this one, because of the assessment results. We know when we did that assessment, the number one issue is the fact that there are those within our church, it may not be you, but some of your brothers and sisters in Christ are confused about pastoral, uh, excuse me, church leadership and how decisions are made. And that's what started this whole thing. But certainly this is part of that solution is identifying this, this, uh, this idea of what are elders, pastors, overseers, what's it all about? 
Uh, fourthly, it's because it's important. And fifthly, because it's biblical. It's important because it's biblical. There are so many doctrines within Scripture that, that we do not hit in a given year. I would say maybe even in a given decade, maybe to our shame. But there's so much. When you talk about the responsibility of having to preach the whole counsel of Scripture... We have, to, we have to do that. That's our job. That's our mission, right, is to co- convey to you the Word of God. And here it is. Here's, a, here's what one person actually called doctrine. And I thought, well, that's an interesting way of, of addressing this. I think it depends on how you talk about doctrine. And, and, uh, and I'm not saying it's not doctrine. I'm just saying we don't treat it that way when we talk about uh, uh, eldership, an eldership model of church. So let me just say this. We're not getting into the different variations of that model. That'll come in a, a subsequent day, but we're not, we're not worried about, about what it's going to look like yet. That's not where we're at. We're, we're at the introductory stages. What are we talking about? And so as we go into today, my, the big idea for today, I phrase this with a, with a two-perspective approach on purpose. It's the idea of God is glorified when a congregation follows the leading of godly elders. Maybe I should have put godly in the, in the orange text so you could see how well they go together. Because certainly, you don't just follow elders. I hit on that two weeks ago. I hit on that two weeks ago. There's plenty of ungodly elders out there. And certainly, you're not called to follow them in ungodly ways. Uh, we're saying here that a uh, God is glorified when we, as the congregation, because remember, deacons and pastors are part of the congregation, but certainly... Elders, pastors, overseers are called to do a number of things that we'll look at in a second. But so I'm asking you to consider, from my perspective, I am the elder. I'm one of them. And I'm saying that you, from your perspective, you're the congregation as we're exercising this today. And I'm just saying God is glorified when a congregation follows the leading of godly elders. So think on that as we go through this, all right? We, we touched on two weeks ago the idea that God has six expectations of pastors, elders, and overseers. I'm just going to show you all at once. We're not going to break this down. We're just going to say, listen, uh, shepherds, uh, pastors, elders, overseers are called to lead, shepherd, teach, pray, equip, and be examples. But remember, I said this is a two-way street or maybe a multiple-way street, but at least two-way. Uh, there's also a corresponding expectations for the congregation because we can't do what we're called to do if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. We can't do it successfully anyway. And, and to be honest with you, if you're not willing to do what God is expecting and calling you to do, uh, then, then uh, well, I, you can't do without us doing our job. We can't do without you doing your job. That's basically what I'm trying to say. I think I got them twisted, but that's where we're at. So think about this. If these are all the expectations of pastors, shepherds, uh, overseers, elders, right? If, if we are called to lead, well, duh, you're called to follow, right? That's the nature of it. We're expected to shepherd. That idea of shepherd is the idea of protecting, guiding, um, uh, and if you think about it, we look through, we, we look at the, the pictures of, or the, the movies or the pictures of, of shepherds, and, and we see them walking through the grassy fields with the, with the staff, you know, and they're walking, and the, and the sheep, and if it's a movie, they're going, and you're like, oh, they're so cute, and, and then we'll see the shearing of the sheep, and it's like, I don't, I don't plan on shearing you, right? That's not the purpose, but listen, do you know why they have the staff? 
Because they have to poke and prod and get into the sheep's life to get it to go the way that the shepherd wants it to go. And we've touched on that. But listen, as we think about our expects and uh, God expects us to shepherd you in all those ways of protecting and guiding and directing, you're expected to rightly respond to the poking and prodding. So I probably don't do it as well as a lot of preachers, but there's all kinds of desire in my heart to get into your life and to help direct you in the way God wants you to go. My, my philosophy of ministry is pretty simple. As a pastor, I'm called a shepherd. I'm called to shepherd you as an individual from where you are to where God wants you to be. That's the job of every one of your pastors. Is to, maybe you're interacting with one of the other pastors and they're trying to shepherd you from where you are to where God wants you to be. It's a journey, and we might have to poke, and we might have to prod. We might have to exhort. We might have to encourage. We might have to do all kinds of things. Please understand, God expects you to re- respond rightly. What about teach? Well, if we're expected to teach, you're expected to learn. Enough said on that one, right? Uh, you may not know this, but we're expected to pray. But what you may not know is I already changed the slide. You're expected to pray. I couldn't think of a contrast with this other than to say, I think we're supposed to be praying for you. I'd really appreciate your prayers for us. But also, we're supposed to be just praying for one another. We're called to equip. And that means not just teaching you. We've already covered that, right? You're supposed to learn. It's the idea of equipping you, of giving you the tools necessary. Maybe physical tools, maybe books, maybe different things that we can give you. Maybe it's training in the sense of how to do a task, how to, how to, how to teach, how to, how to greet in such a way where a person is, is, uh, feels greeted. You know, how about, how about a way to, to segue a conversation to the gospel? We can train you in some of that stuff. We can equip you into that stuff. And so if we're supposed to do that, you're supposed to minister. Because we've talked about the fact that we are, we are called, right, as pastors, we're supposed to equip the saints for the ministry. And that means you, are, as being the saints, you're to minister. So are we, but so are you. And lastly, they are, uh, we are expected to be examples, right? But this, and this isn't, uh, uh, this isn't difficult to understand either. You are also to be examples. That's how disciples make disciples who make disciples, is that as we are examples of, of Christ-like belief and living and doctrine and all those things, as we seek to do what we're called to do, as we're training and, and bringing you along and edifying you and building you up, you ought to be doing that with someone else. And then when they're, as they're growing, they're sharing what they know in Christ and they're, and they're sharing with someone else. And that's how the church grows. That's how it prospers. That's how its health is assured is when we're all doing these things. So this is what we're called to do as a congregation. So as we go through the remainder of the sermon, just remember, God is glorified when we all, as a congregation, follow the leading of godly elders. And so I hope that communicates to you so far. If not, I thought of one way to making this a little bit more helpful, to take it out of the pastor, elder, uh, overseer uh, uh, picture and say, in honor of Father's Day, we can make a comparison. In a sense, it's not exactly, and I'm not switching main points. This is my... uh, God is glorified when a family follows the leading of a godly father, isn't it? We've all been in a family at some level. We've all been in a family. God is glorified when a family follows the leading of a godly father. Certainly they're following the leading of ungodly fathers. We see it all around us. 
But certainly God is glorified when we seek to follow our godly Father. And ultimately, if you don't have one of those, you can follow God the Father and do that he's all called to be. But I, I, just wanted, I just wanted to bring that out. And actually, the text of Scripture brings that out. In the qualifications of a pastor that we turn to, 1 Timothy 3, it starts off, a bishop, which is the word overseer, and we'll look at that a little bit later, says, thus then must be blameless. That overriding word that says everything else uh, about that's going to follow is going to flesh out that word blameless. I skipped the rest of verse 2 and verse 3 to jump to verse 4, and it says, one who rules his own house well. When you're vetting a pastor, when you're trying to figure out is this man who's coming before us on any given day, whenever we're bringing someone before you, uh, you're, you're going to this text, and the text in Titus, and you're saying, does he qualify? It says that one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. So it doesn't mean every pastor has to be a, a husband and a father. It doesn't mean that. There's single pastors out there. I know a number of them are great guys. All right, many of them... Uh, find their wives during their ministry years and, and then later have children or not. All right, but it's the idea of this. This is one way of, of understanding. If, if someone is in the role of father and if someone, a husband, in the role of father, they ought to be doing it well to God's glory. Notice what it says there. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? In this text, we see the connection between uh, this idea of, as we talk about elders, as we talk about pastors or bishops, overseers, as we use this terminology, as we vet our pastors, we understand that we're talking here about a very important aspect of that vetting. We are looking at the person, not just their beliefs. We're looking at the person and the way they live. All right? And God gives us specific ways. And so, uh, Hopefully we can uh, segue out of Father's Day for a minute and continue on here with this idea of dealing with God's glorification through the, following the leading of godly elders. Let's look at some terminology found in the passage uh, exhorting elders, pa uh, overseers, and pastors uh, to be godly. Right. So uh, in one passage, I had the I'll barely make the time frame that we already have. I had to I had to delete a whole bunch of slides. You know, actually, I just moved them to another file because there's no way we're getting through two passages today. We're getting through one. Now, that's, this, that's the First Peter 5 passage. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 today. And so we're going to look at some terminology in this passage, right? So, so some terminology from First Peter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. So I'm going to do, point out a couple things. One, that word elders, all right? We're going to be talking about that for the next few minutes. But it's also, I didn't highlight it, but it's also found in the singular form right here where it says Peter is saying, I am a fellow elder. Uh, he's not claiming that he's an apostle. He's identifying with his community. And, and so before we go into, into depth on what this word elder means, and as we look more uh, closely at it, let's just think about Peter's heartbeat for a minute here. He's talking to a group of people that are going through a really hard time. Chapter 4 is kind of telling us about some of the persecution they're experiencing. And then he turns his sights on the leaders of the community, and he says, the elders who are among you, I exhort. Personally, it's like getting called, I would say the principal's office would be like, huh, okay, the dean of, this, of, the, of, the, of the college or seminary. How about getting called in front of the, of the king, right? 
I mean, Peter's a pretty important guy. He's got a lot, he's got a lot of power. He's got, a, he's got a resume that kind of speaks. And he kind of tells us a little bit about his resume. And he says, the elders who are among you, I exhort. I who am, notice this, at the present, I'm a fellow elder. But in the past, I was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And in the future, I am a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. What's beautiful about Peter's, and it really fleshes, it really fleshes out more as you go into the text, he's really just establishing his humility. He's saying, listen, I am standing before you as one that understands the sufferings of Christ. I understand them so well because I ran from them. I denied him. That was part of the suffering Jesus incurred was the, the, his disciples running away. And he's looking forward as we can look forward to this glory. And we'll look at that at, at the end of the sermon today just briefly. But it's the idea that I'm a partaker of the glory that's going to be revealed when Jesus returns. I'm going to be there and so will every believer in Jesus Christ. All those who have come to faith in what Jesus Christ did on that cross. What only he could do on that cross. And when we come to the realization that there is nothing we can do to replace the work that Jesus did, when we come in humility, similar to Peter's humility, and saying, I am, I am humble before God to say, I could do nothing. I cannot do any good work whatsoever to earn your favor, God. It's all that Jesus did on that cross. That's the humility that we are called to. And then when we come to that humility, that's when we become a disciple of Jesus Christ, when we recognize it's, he did it all. And we are, it is sheer grace through faith that we, that we get to uh, experience all that we experience in Christ. But then he says, listen, I'm a fellow elder. And now we're going to drill down on this word a little bit. I'm one of you, he says. Now, this word elder, it does not, it has a reference to age, does it not? Elder, younger. And in the context, when you get to verse 5, it's going to use the word younger. But let's just talk about this word elder. It is, uh, it is a word that certainly touches on the aspect of age but it touches on so much more. There are, uh, as you talk about uh, this word, it's, 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 it's used in the early church. Why is it used in the early church? Well, because it was used in the Jewish synagogue, and it was used throughout the nation of Israel. And when you're in, 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 uh, studying the text of scriptures that is predominantly sent to uh, the Jewish community, this word elder is used more frequently than the other words for pastor, shepherd, overseer. Because the Jewish community gets this word. It's not just that they're old. It's that they are honored. They are respected for, for, their, for their life, for their, for their service, for whatever it might be. But elder is not just an age designation. It is a, it is a title of honor and respect. And the early church adopted it very soon. Right? We have it recorded in Scripture that the early church used this word. And so let's just look at this word a little bit. It's the word presbyteros, all right? It is, it is in the plural, and I'm going to say, and I, I actually, I go back and forth on this. I'm pretty sure I read that it's always in the plural, except for when it's talking about an individual person. When you talk about elders in a church, I'm going to show you a bunch of scripture that shows you this word in the plural form as it's talking about an individual church. All right, so let's, let's just go through this word, presbyteros. Acts 14, 23. So when they had appointed elders in every church and, 
and prayed with fasting, they, com- they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. What do we see here? We see elder. the word elders is in the plural, and the word church is in the singular. That's why the word every is added onto there. Uh, uh, Paul is in the, the business of planting churches. He's in the business of discipling other men to also plant churches. And so it says, when they had appointed elders in every church. That's the model that we see unfold. As we get to Acts 15, we see, therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem. There was this church in Jerusalem, and the half-brother of Christ was one of the elders in that church. It says to the apostles and elders about this question. There was this, this dispute. Is the gospel for Gentiles too? Well, yeah. Do they have to obey the law? Do they have to get circumcised? Paul says no. Other people says yes. Well, let's send them off to the church in Jerusalem where the other apostles are, and let's let them talk it out, and let's get some clarity from them. They've been around Christ longer. They know more stuff. Let's see what they have to say. So what's the idea here? Again, plural, the elders, right, in in this church in Jerusalem, to the apostles and the elders. There are multiple elders in the church in Jerusalem. Uh, but also, you see here a distinction between the types of leaders. And we'll look at a passage that talks about apostles and elders a little bit later. But I, I'll say this, uh, actually apostles and, and pastors, uh, a little bit later. Uh, but I want you to just, just see, first of all, it's not just elders as an age, or this would be redundant. Because by this time, certainly the, the apostles would have, been, would have been revered. They would have probably been older than, than some. Uh, uh, but we see that they're talking about this group of people other than the apostles, all right? So it just helps us understand that this elder group, whatever it is, is something that the church is recognizing uh, as a specific group of people. When you get into Titus 1, we see, for this reason I left you in Crete. Paul is talking to Titus, and he says that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commend you. So once again, we, we see that the, the word is in the plural. And, and so, but I think as we talk about this one, plural elders in every city is the way Paul is commending, uh, commanding uh, Titus. But he says this, this, uh, I, I, this is my observation. This is likely not teaching that Titus was planting multiple churches at the same time. It's not that, uh, as, as you talk, use the word city, we have the book, of Thessalonica, the book of Thessalonians, right? It's a city, Thessalonica. We have the, book to the letter to the Ephesians. It was the church in Ephesus. They were cities. And so as Paul is commending him, he's just using different terminology, but he's saying, go start a church in a city and appoint elders, plural, in the church, the singular church. Um, he certainly wasn't going, uh, like in the South, we talk about there's a church on every corner, and it really is true in some places, right? You're just like, wow. Uh, but that's not, that's not what was going on there. It wasn't like there, he, uh, Titus was planting a church here and going three blocks over and doing another church over there and running back and forth on Sundays. No, there was, there was one church they were trying to gather. Now, I will say, hey, eventually, probably started other churches, but that's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying there's some things undone as you're getting this stir- church started, a point plurality of elders. James 5, 14. Is anyone among you sick? This is, by the way, this is open to you. Uh, some of the pastors, I had COVID. I wasn't able to participate, but we did this just recently uh, for a person in our church because they requested. I've done it about four times in my life. 
Uh, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders, plural, of the church, singular, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I'll just say this, listen, as we talk about Scripture here. uh, There are times where medicine is just not working. Uh, You've tried just about everything. This is not a last resort. People often go to this as a last resort, but it doesn't have to be a last resort. Uh, Certainly your elders or your pastors, your overseers, are willing to do this for you uh, in in command of Scripture and in observation of Scripture. Uh, But it says if you're sick, you know, call the elders of the church, and we will come and we'll anoint you with oil. And it's a beautiful thing. I don't have time to tell you the stories, but they, they are meaningful to me. So plural elders and a single church. So then we come to the second uh, word. It's poimonite. All right, that's my best guess at, at uh, pronouncing that. Uh, it's the idea of shepherd. And it's in the imperative in this, in this first Peter text. It's in the imperative. So let's look at it here. He says, shepherd. It's not saying, hey, shepherd. Let me tell you something. No, he's telling you it's a verb. It's saying shepherd. Peter is is calling people together, and he's saying, listen, I know you're going through all this affliction, all this persecution. Uh, Let me talk to the elders. Uh, And he says, shepherd the flock. It's a command. And it's the, the base of that word. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. We'll get there in a minute. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Let's, let's look at this word. All right, let's see where else it shows up. Uh, it said in Ephesians 4.11, I've, we've touched on this before. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, the pastors and teachers is combined in, in, in the Greek. There's one article... Uh, and it's being applied to both, right? So it's not four offices. It's, it's, pro, it's, it's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers. But here is the word for pastor. And this is that word that we just talked about right here. Uh, it's this word. It's the root of this word anyway. Uh, and, and, and it's the noun form. And what's amazing about this particular word is it's the only place it's found. The, the root of the word, 40 times the root of this word is used in the New Testament. That'll get your attention. When something's used 40 times throughout the New Testament, but only once is it found in this form as a noun, it's only once that we see it to refer what we call the office of the local church pastor. But we love this term, right? And I do, by the way. In all our discussion about elders, pastors, overseer, bishop, you know, all these, all these different terms, right? I'm really not asking you to call me anything else. Or, uh, you know, uh, Elder Odeorn has, has some baggage for me because I have two brothers who are from the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, and they're all called elders, all right? There's already two Elder Odeorns. Actually, there's many more because their sons have gone on, on missions, uh, I, for me, I, I'm, I would struggle with that terminology, although I'm telling you the elder term is biblical. For me, I'm going to be most comfortable you calling me pastor. I really don't want you to call me bishop, overseer, all right? You know, shepherd even. Eh, I mean, I, I'm okay. Uh, I guess you could call me shepherd, Odeorn. I would be okay with that. Because we like that word. It's endearing. But let's not lose sight of the impact of all the words that God uses in His Word to flesh out the meaning of this office. So 40 times it's only used once. The other 39 times it refers to Jesus as our great shepherd, right? 
Uh, it refers to actual shepherds. The angels came and appeared to shepherds that were abiding in the fields by night. We have figurative shepherds, where shepherd terminology is used in a figurative sense to convey a message. Jesus does that. Uh, the root of the word is actually the word for flock. So shepherd and flock have the same root. Uh, and then it's also used, it's, it's translated as serving in some places, which is what shepherds tend to do, which I think is very good for pastors and, and overseers to understand that, but also to rule. Now, I'm not going to spend any time on this, but I think it's two or three times it's used in the book of Revelation, and it's speaking of Christ. So I'm, I'm just, all this to say, one time is significant. It's one time that's used for pastor, and yet that's our predominant term. And I like the term, but we shouldn't be so tied to it at the cost of other terms, all right? So let's, let's uh, see where our, um, we are now. We're still in uh, 1 Peter 5. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. How are you supposed to shepherd? Serving as overseers. It is a participle. This is the way we are supposed to be doing this. We're supposed to be overseeing. Folks, I, I said it before, and I will say it over and over again. We're leaders, we're overseers. We're, we're, we're the people that are leading and you're supposed to follow, okay? As uncomfortable as that might be at any given moment, that's the way God has structured the church. So let's look at this. Shepherding the flock of God, serving as overseers. That's all one word, by the way. That's, that is the word, serving as overseers. Um, but we see this also in 1 Timothy Three. Now, 1 Timothy 3, 1 says, If any man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing. That particular word, bishop, is, has some things added onto it, and it's not the exact same word as this one. But we understand. If a man desires the office, he desires a good thing. What's the office? It's the office of bishop or overseer, which we know is the same as elder, which we know is the same as pastor as we go through the text. He says a bishop then, and he gets into the characteristics of the elder, pastor, right? When we go to uh, hire a pastor in a church, we are vetting that pastor according to the qualifications listed in 1 Timothy 3 as well as Titus 1. You did this if you were here when I came through, and you may have done it at other churches before, but this word bishop, these are the qualifications necessary for a bishop, for an overseer to come and stand behind this pulpit and preach, teach, exhort, do all those things, but we call the position pastor. For a bishop must be blameless uh, as a steward of God, not self-willed, and we know all those, and we'll touch on those in a little bit. Philippians 1 says, uh, what we see here is that Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, uh, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. So deacons get to be deacons, get to be deacons. You know, you can call us all kinds of names and we, ha we ought to respond, all right? But here it's the idea of bishops, overseers. And what, what I like about this particular passage, it establishes very clearly that there are two offices in the church. There are overseers, and there are deacons. And so uh, going back to the very early slide, this isn't a power struggle. This is setting things straight. This is what Scripture teaches. And we're just trying to be biblical because it's important. Okay? 1 Peter 2 says, For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I think this is wonderful for us to understand. Jesus is referred to as the overseer and the shepherd. 
Jesus is, that reminds us as, as under-shepherds, as, as un- overseers who are accountable to God, that we are doing, Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. Jesus is the ultimate overseer. And so we are seeking to, to, to be obedient to him. So now let's look at the exhortation Peter gives to elders, overseers, and, and be honest with you, we're almost done, all right? Because I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we've kind of already been there, done that in a great way. But let's look at the, the exhortation Peter gives. We're going through persecution. Let me call the elders together and say, elders, you better be treating your people right, right? You better be fulfilling this office the way God intends you to fulfill, the, fulfill this office, he says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. What does he say? Not by compulsion. We're going to deal with the knots first, right? Not by compulsion, not for dishonest gain, and not as lording over those entrusted to you. All right? So let, let's just say, he goes, elders are not, this is what you should not see in any church, right? Elders are not to serve out of a sense of obligation. What do I mean by that? Well, Here's a couple scenarios. One, let's say I have been your pastor for, let's say, 20 years rather than three. And maybe, one, I'm older. I would be 77 at that point. Uh, Maybe I'm tired. Maybe I'm fed up. Maybe I'm exhausted. I don't know. But you know what? I plug through day in and day out because why? Because I'm your pastor. I'm obligated to do my job. That's what he's saying. Don't, don't serve in that capacity. There comes time when pastors ought to step down and allow the church to be led by those who are called and who are going to be all the things that we're going to talk about what they should be, but out of a sense of obligation, right. The other scenario would be a very small gathering, and they're trying to start a church. And maybe there's a guy in there that has demonstrated that he knows the Bible pretty well, and the, and the group consensus is, you be our pastor, 1 Timothy 3. Anybody that desires the office of a bishop desires a good thing. He doesn't desire the office of a bishop. He is not interested or excited. He's scared out of his mind, and he's like, I don't feel God leading me that way, but okay. And he succumbs to it. Now, I'm not saying there haven't been great pastors that have come from that very scenario, but I'm saying that ought not to be a way for a, for a pastor to, to come in out of obligation, out of a sense of duty, right? We'll talk about what they should have in a moment. They should not come uh, be a pastor. They should not serve as a pastor, overseer, elder, uh, out of selfish motivation. They're not supposed to be interested in what it's going to get them. After pursuing money, pursuing authority, pursuing anything. Well, actually, that's the third one, uh, the authority thing. But they're not supposed to do that out of any selfish thing that they might get. You know, there are churches that treat their pastors so incredibly well that there's no way that pastor is leaving because of all the perks. Now, this is not slamming anybody. I'm just saying, I know of some places, I've read about places where it's like, you wonder if the pastor's even a Christian. I mean, I've, I've had that question because you see what's going on and it's like, wait a minute, your, your congregation's living like this and you're living like that? Something, something, Something's not right, right? You know, they're, they're, so anyway, I just say, you may have seen the horror stories. I've seen the horror stories. Don't seek a pastor who's in it for selfish motivation. And certainly that ought to be part of your questioning of pastors. 
Thirdly, out of a desire for power of authority, Paul, uh, excuse me, um, Peter says, you know, don't do this out of power of authority. Don't do, 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 don't do this because you desire to be the number one in charge. Don't do it. It's not, it's not, it's not about you. It's not about you. What are elders supposed to do? Elders are to serve willingly, right? I will say this. It's out of a sense of calling of God. I, I know people argue up and down about, is it a call? What's a call? All these things. All I'm saying is, listen, do it because you desire to do it and you're willingly do it. You're not doing it. Uh, you're, not com- uh, you're not being forced into it. Do it willingly. Uh, that's what it says there. Not out of compulsion, but willingly. And then it also says to do it, but uh, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. In other words, I don't care what the job pays. Let me get in there and do it. Let me, let me meet your needs in Christ. Hey, I got this great news for you. I feel the call of God in my life, and he wants me to pastor. I want to I pastor a church. He's opened the door. I want to serve you. I want to preach his word. I want to I be eager. I want to be energetic. I want to I be used of God. I don't care what the perks are. Right? That's the type of person that you're looking for. And then thirdly, we need to look for guys who are willing to do it exemplary. I can't say that word very well, all right? Uh, exemplary. Hopefully I did it right. But anyway, it's the idea of, of being examples to the flock. We've already touched on this, and I won't spend much time with it, but that's what you're looking for. You're looking for men to come in with all these willingly, what did I say? <laughs> willingly, eagerly, exemplary. They need to be that example, folks. That's what you're looking for. So as, as we go, oh, I'm sorry. And then there's this, there's one perk. <laughs> it's a pretty big one. But there's one perk that comes with being a godly elder, pastor, overseer. What is it? When the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, appears, you will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. That's a good enough perk for me. But I don't, I don't live my life Ooh, I can't wait to get the crown. I can't wait to get the crown, but I can't wait for all of us to get that crown that comes because we have come to faith in the King, Jesus Christ. And we will all be with Peter in glory. That's the, that's the motivation that I'm excited about. So God is glorified when a congregation follows the leading of godly elders. But let me ask you this. All right, if we consider this list of the six corresponding expectations of the congregation and that you are called to follow, rightly respond, learn, pray, minister, and also be examples. Uh, This is a question I'd like to have on your hearts and minds as we finish up today and as you walk out these doors. Are you willing to follow us as we follow Christ? All right, what do I mean by this? All right, so... Didn't have emotions first uh, last week. It was all emotions first service, not second service. Today, not during the first service, but they're right under the skin right now. And I want to say this. Why? Folks, listen, this is what we desire for you. We desire to be this for you as your pastor, elders, overseers. But we desire for you to be willing to follow us. Why is that important? In the questions that came through, and in my life as, as one of the pastors here, and I'm sure all the other pastors probably give testimony to this, there are those times when we have conversations. And we're trying to preach, teach, lead, you know, equip, all these things. And then what happens is um, there's this constant draw to the past. 
right? It's like, okay, here's the discipleship series where you got these core classes going this way. Oh, let's talk about this. Okay, we need to talk about that. It's good to talk about it. Can we talk about it while we're moving this way? So we're going to keep doing these things and doing these things, and, and we, we think this is the way God is. Oh, but can we talk about this? So many times I'm in individual conversations with people, and I desire to exercise my philosophy of ministry, which is to pastor someone from where they are to where God wants them to be, and I can't get them to see past their past. It's too daunting. Unresolved issues. Um, differences in the way we're doing things. Let's go this way. We've never done it that way, Pastor. But listen, but if you give us a chance, we're going to, but I just don't know. We live in a society that, as I said two weeks ago, rightfully so in many ways, is skeptical about being able to trust their pastors. And there are definitely elders, pastors, overseers who are not worthy of trust. But until we demonstrate we're not worthy of trust, I am pleading with you, let's move forward. Let's get involved in these discipleship classes. Let us equip you for the work of the ministry. Let's get serving and, and let's get active and let's get into our community. Let's take the gospel everywhere we go. So that's my little rant. I'm not trying to be mean. This is why I came. This is why I came to Cornerstone. This is why I came to Calvary. Because I have a desire to have God work in me first and then threw me into the lives of others. Every one of your pastors is here because they sense the call of God in their life and they want the God to do the work in them and then into your lives so that you can go out and make disciples of all nations and serve as a missionary, serve as a pastor, serve as a school teacher, serve as a nursery worker, serve as a greeter, serve as, a, as someone that just comes alongside a brother or sister in Christ. We want to equip that for you. We want, we're, we're on that path, folks. And I'm, this is just my opportunity to say, would you join us? Would you get behind us? Would you support us? Are you willing to follow us as we follow Christ? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and for the encouragement that it gives from so many different perspectives. Thank you for the clear teaching on pastors and, and, and their roles in churches. Father, as we continue this series, for I don't know how many weeks it's going to be, but Lord, as we continue it, I pray that we would talk about those things that need to get talked about for your glory, for the edification of the body of Christ. And so, Father, we pray that uh, as, as usual, we just pray that the heart response of your people would please you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.